My uh, current favourite Christmas story is of the crowded men's changing room in my local David Lloyd gym shortly before Christmas, where an unattended mobile phone by the mirror went off. Everyone looked up to see whose phone it might be. After several rings, one of the men answered the phone and everyone could clearly hear the voice of a teenage girl on the line. Hi, Daddy. Just finished my Christmas shopping in Harrods. I've seen some beautiful Versace diamond earrings that look so good with my new cocktail dress. They're £12,000, but can I get them? Sure, it's Christmas, replied the man. (laughs) Thanks, Daddy. And there are some fabulous Jimmy Choo shoes with diamond buckles for £6,000. Could I get them to go with my earrings? No problem, it's Christmas, came the reply. Thank you. And that pink Bentley Cabriolet you wanted to get me for my 18th. It's a bit more than I thought, 250000 but can I order it on my way home? Yeah, it's Christmas, came the cheery response. Thanks, Daddy, see you later. The man put down the phone, turned round to find the other men staring at him, open-mouthed, stunned by his fabulous wealth and Christmas generosity. The man just grinned, held up the phone and said, Anybody know whose phone this is? <laughs> In our scripture reading, which is uh, printed for you in your programs for you to follow along, from Isaiah chapter 9, God promises a Christmas gift to us all that is far more valuable than earrings, shoes, or even a Bentley tabular. He was speaking in the 7th century before Christ to the people of Israel in turbulent times. They were led by the foolish king Ahaz and suffered under the violent power of the Assyrian Empire. He promises them a divine ruler to end all wars and to establish God's eternal kingdom of justice and righteousness for the people of all nations. The promise has astonishing dimensions. Verse 1, Galilee. Amongst the ethnically diverse northern regions, devastated by the Assyrians, God will honour Galilee. Verse 2, Light. Those walking in the spiritual darkness of confusion and evil will enjoy the light of truth and goodness. Verse 3, joy. Suffering people will rejoice one day with celebrations of abundance and and vindication. Verse 4, he promises freedom. Those burdened by the yoke of oppression will finally be liberated. Verse 5, peace. Even the boots and blooded garments of warriors will be burned and forgotten forever. How could such a marvellous society full of light, joy, freedom and peace ever be established? It sounds like so much religious make-believe to go along with Santa Claus and the Christmas fairy. Verse 6 tells us that this will be accomplished by God, but not by military power or by political ideology but through a child with divine qualities, born to be a king. Verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Astonishing, this child will be born to us, birth of a child is always a joy, especially our own child. This child is born to us, born to live the selfless, loving human life that we haven't lived. 
for us. The Son is given to us. What a precious gift. The long-promised Son of God and Son of David, who is King of God's eternal kingdom. Of course, little Prince George of Cambridge will grow up to be king one day, but with limited powers. This child, promised by God, will grow up with unlimited power of government over God's eternal kingdom. And rulers are often given titles that characterise their reign. Alexander the Great, Vlad the Impaler, Richard the Lionheart. This king's divine rule will be described with four wonderful titles that describe the kingdom that he will one day bring. First, wonderful counsellor. That is offering ethical wisdom. We all carry responsibilities in our private and public lives. Some here today have very weighty responsibilities, making difficult decisions about social policy, military action, or welfare benefits that impact not just our own nation, but indeed the world. No doubt many, even here, are weary of ferocious lobbying from all directions. Far too many would-be advisers dispensing their opinions laced with personal agendas. How wonderful to find a wonderful counsellor who offers impartial wisdom because he sits above the battles of wills on the ground, who not only understands us better than even our parents or partners, not only understands the historical and political complexities of our world better than any cross-party think tank, but even knows our eternal futures in the spiritual dimensions because he is the God who governs them all. Especially, imagine if he could have these principles written down for us, perhaps in a readily available book that we could consult. How wonderful would that be? Back then, you see, King Ahaz was being lobbied by the powers of his day, and he proved famously foolish. He ignored God's advice and tried to negotiate power through treaties and alliances that eventually incited the invasion of Babylon. There have been other leaders who've done better than Ahaz. Think of that champion of the abolition of the slave trade, William Wilberforce, who famously wrote in a journal entry in 1787, God Almighty has set before me two great objects, the suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of manners, that is, morality. Words that you will know are now engraved on his tomb just across the square in Westminster Abbey. Wilberforce, you see, sought ethical wisdom from this wonderful counsellor in the Bible. Not at all damaging, but good for children to hear. And today, are we not so glad that he did? Firstly, their wonderful counsellor, offering ethical wisdom. Secondly, mighty God, offering transforming power. As well as the many desperate needs of our world, suffering from poverty and sickness, war and terrorism, inequality and injustice, climate change and crime, we will all have our own personal reasons to yearn for a better world. Perhaps we're unhappily single or unhappily married. Perhaps pained by sickness or pained by ageing, struggling with a boss or struggling with a junior. Most of us are here because we want to make a difference in society. But although some may be powerful and influential, most of us become increasingly aware that our power to make things better is very limited, really. Last week, the founder of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, and his wife, Priscilla Chan, 
have wonderfully pledged to give away 99% of their vast $45 billion fortune and wrote a letter to their newborn son. You've probably seen it. It begins, Dear Max, your mother and I don't have the words to describe the hope you give us for the future. Your new life is full of promise and we hope that you'll be happy and healthy so you can explore it fully. You've already given us reason to reflect on the world we hope to live in. Like all parents, we want you to grow up in a world better than ours today. You may know his commendable two goals are advancing human potential and promoting equality through internet access, personalised learning tools, promoting healthy childhoods and curing diseases. However, while I'm sure his money will do a great deal, we all know that money alone cannot deliver the new world that we long for. Only a mighty God can do that. Facebook can't solve all our personal pains and griefs. At least like many of you, when one of my five children nearly died from an eating disorder and then more recently suffered a random brain hemorrhage and needed to be flown back for an operation at St George's under Henry Marsh, famous of course. It wasn't Facebook, but the almighty God that we turned to. The God who loves us and who offers his transforming power to heal, either now through a surgeon or after death in resurrection. It's to such a God we pray when we're in our deepest need. Because he is the mighty God who comforts all who turn to him. Mighty God. Thirdly, everlasting Father offering permanent security. The word father here doesn't refer to a parent, but to a compassionate protector offering eternal security. Of course, security is a big issue for us, even in our island kingdom. The dreadful recent events in Paris have reminded us that we're vulnerable and fragile. When you think about it, it's not so much because of ISIL and Daesh, but because we're all mortal. None of us, none of us will escape the grim reaper. He tears our lives and our families and our communities apart. How wonderful. I mean, how how wonderful it would be if there was a king who could defeat not just terrorism, but death itself. What a great king that would be. To bring us into a better world. The world we long for. A world without fear of any kind. Praise God. Praise God that at the first Easter, this was done. There was a king who rose and broke through the power of death itself. And our yearnings for a world without fear, without pain, without death, can be satisfied. It's very striking that uh, C.S. Lewis, who was once a convinced atheist, turned to God because he reflected upon his own yearnings. In his brilliant biography of C.S. Lewis, the author of the Nani Tales, um, Alistair McGrath describes how Lewis had been a convinced atheist and while serving during World War I in France in 1918, he even wrote a poem condemning the uncaring silence of heaven and declaring the final death of God as a human fabrication. Yet afterwards, teaching and researching in Oxford, he realised that Christian poets had a world view that rang truer to the world than his own view. He'd often been stirred by longings for joy that his rationalism simply couldn't explain. In the end, Lewis wasn't persuaded by the many logical arguments to believe in God, though there are many. 
but because he longed for a worldview that made sense of reality and made sense of the longings in his own heart that rationalism could not explain. You see, he'd been stirred by longings for joy and he gradually realised that the imagination and yearnings of his heart were not explained by a grim philosophical atheism but with the disconnected, fragmented intuitions of a heart that had been fashioned by a loving God for a loving God. There's plenty of historical evidence to prove the deity and resurrection of Christ to the open-minded. Yet surely we feel his existence in the relational longings of our heart, and indeed the pain when they're broken. When the great physicist Stephen Hawking says that only people who are afraid of the dark believe in God, I wonder if he's forgetting the rest of us, who are not just afraid of death, but who love food and wine and love and family, and we ache with pain when they're broken. We long for a better world, because there is one. We long for an eternity, And there is a king provided by God to give it to us. The thirdly, an everlasting father offering permanent security. And fourthly, and lastly, a prince of peace offering lasting reconciliation. That is peace with God. And if you know anything of the story of the king when he came, he accomplished this reconciliation with God through his death on a cross. This king, you see, gives us access to the heavenly kingdom, the king without pain and suffering, the kingdom we long for. In fact, the reason that God shrank himself down to become so tiny, just a few cells in his mother's womb, I mean, why would the supreme being do such a crazy, absurd thing? The answer is to become ordinary like one of us, just like us. He had to become ordinary like us in order to swap places with us on that cross. And there to endure and exhaust and suffer all the shame and pain and punishment that we deserve so that there is none left for any who rely on him instead of themselves. What a wonderful thing that in this way we can be at peace with God, no longer at war, reconciled with God. And indeed that is the basis for reconciliation with everyone else. I love that story, you may have heard it, I've told it before, of Bill Deacon, the winchman in the helicopter operating out of the Shetland Islands, who uh, in 1997 was involved in the rescue of the merchant ship, the Green Lily. I don't know if you know the story. The Green Lily was a merchantman, I think, with the Filipino sailors, and I think there were about 10 crew trapped on this ship in uh, mountainous waves, and it was breaking up on the rocks. Even the lifeboats could not reach the crew trapped on the, on the boat. And as uh, Bill Deacon watched from the SE rescue helicopter overhead, he realised that all the crew were going to be lost unless something was done urgently. Do you know what he did? He winched himself down amidst all these driving uh, uh, storm winds and the huge waves. He winched himself down onto the surface of the ship. And one by one, he swapped places with each of the crew. And each one was winched up to safety in the helicopter. And then when the last of the crew, the 10th crew, was lifted up to safety in the helicopter, an enormous wave swept across the boat and his body was washed up on shore a few days later. For his self-sacrifice, posthumously he was awarded the St George Cross. And I love that story because it illustrates for us, that true account illustrates the bravery, the heroism, not only of Bill Deacon, 
but of my Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did the Supreme Being shrink himself down to become a few cells, to be born? Why would God do such an absurd thing? The answer is to become one of us, because he loves us so passionately. He was prepared to swap places with us on a cross. And so the glorious news of Christmas is that this divine child has come. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. God has delivered his Christmas gift to Mary and Joseph. The gift who offers amazing ethical wisdom. Just read the Sermon on the Mount, the wonderful counsellor, who offering amazing works of transformative power and healing the sick and raising the dead. Read a gospel for yourself this Christmas. Mighty God, offering the permanent security of passage through death into the world we all yearn for, everlasting Father, and offering us lasting reconciliation with God through his death in our place on a cross, the Prince of Peace. Indeed, all that Jesus did is only a pledge of the kingdom yet to come. So may I encourage you this Christmas to enjoy and celebrate Christmas with everything in you, But may I encourage you not only to celebrate Christmas, but to resolve that in the new year, in the coming year, you'll explore this king a little further. To explore and to enjoy forever the birth of our Saviour, who is the wonderful counsellor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the king who loves us, the king we've longed for, even if we hadn't realised it. The best Christmas gift ever given from God to all of us. Let's bow our heads and pray for a moment. Let me give you a moment of quiet just to perhaps speak with God quietly in your own heart. Almighty God, we will no doubt enjoy many things this Christmas. We hope for gifts and presents to unwrap. But dear God, please would you help us to unwrap the greatest gift ever given. The gift of your Son. And whether it's for the first time ever in our lives, or for the hundredth time, we pray that we would enjoy this Christmas more than ever before. To celebrate the gift of the King, who is the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace that we need and that we long for. Thank you, dear Father, for your Christmas gift. Amen.